Well, hi there. It's my great privilege to be joined by two uh, great friends and Christian leaders, Pastor Agu of Jesus House and Pastor Toppy of Jubilee Church. Welcome, guys. So glad you could join us. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be here. I just want to say a couple of um, sort of personal thanks to both of you, really, for your friendship over so many years. I mean, Pastor Agu, you are one of the most influential and amazing Christian leaders in the UK right now. I, I'm in awe of all that you carry and the grace with which you, uh, you, you carry the responsibility you've got. You know, you're heading up the great church of Jesus House. You're um, heading up the Redeemed Network in the UK, the Redeemed Churches, over 800 churches, I think, which is incredible. And also the president of the Pentecostal churches in the UK. You're a hugely busy man. But, you know, what I've been most uh, blessed by is how you've always had time for me. You've had time to minister into Kingsgate. You've come over many years. You've imparted something of your great faith for prayer and revival. You've been such a blessing. And most of all, I'm grateful for the way you've been a friend, you and Shola, to Karen and myself. I remember uh, one time we were in a leaders gathering and you, you publicly said how you and Shola regularly pray for Karen and myself. And I turned to Karen afterwards and says, well, if those two are praying for us, then our backs are well and truly covered. So <laughs> myself, Karen, Kingsgate, and I know many people across the UK, a massive thank you. Well, I, I could actually be saying the same. Um, we, we see you and uh, Karen and Kingsgate as, as a model. Uh, what you're doing there is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we came up there and we saw the facility. I, I was part of a service. And um, yeah, just, and for me, relationships are, are, are just so important. Uh, Tokwe, who's on, who's on with us, is someone I have tremendous regard for, a great relationship with him, uh, Shalani and his wife, Kemi. And, and really, the reason we're here today is because of our relationships, primarily. I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And Toppy, uh, we've known each other, what, for a, must be, I was thinking, at least 15 years? I think so. I think something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been in all kinds of leadership forums. I seem to remember we were in an overseas trip together yeah. as well. I mean, you know, you lead that amazing Church of Jubilee. You know, you've got a wider ministry, a fantastic preacher. and You kindly gave some time to Kingsgate. Uh, last autumn, you came and preached uh, an amazing message. People absolutely loved you. Um, I remember talking to you and Kemi afterwards at our meal and saying, I try to preach and you're a preacher. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, so, so, so I'm in awe and uh, just very grateful for our friendship. You know, often we picked up the phone, even in recent times, haven't we? And sort of shared at quite a deep level. So, you know, we're here as friends and... Um, you know, the, 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 the reason for our call together is just a sense that in the midst of this current um, climate and, you know, the, reflecting on the, the brutal murder of George Floyd and, you know, the evident evil of racism um, that we see all around us, we just wanted to put this call together. You guys kindly agreed to join us. And you know, two real reasons why um, I wanted this call. Firstly, for understanding. You know, we want to learn from you. I, I believe as we understand this issue more, we can greater empathize, we can pray, and we can act. So, we, what, And then secondly, just even the fact that we're having this call together, 
and we're going to pray together at the end. We want to stand together against racism. So, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that by God's grace, that's what we'll be able to achieve today. So uh, let, let's kick off. Uh, I want to just maybe start with you, Toppy. Tell us about um, your first kind of response when you heard about the murder of George Floyd and, and the, the unfolding events in America. What, what was your kind of gut response to all of that? Yeah, well, thanks, Dave. Again, just good to be here. You and Karen are good friends of ours, and we've benefited much from the friendship. Um, yeah, when I when I first saw, actually, I saw the photograph first. Uh, somebody had taken online, and I saw that, and I was taken aback just from the photograph. And then when I saw the video, it just uh, just perplexed me really, and uh, you it was just so violent and so gruesome. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why this particular one has had the effect that it has had in city after city. Um, I think because it was very, usually some of the other horrific things we've seen have tended to be either very quick or the captures of the films have been very shaky and so on. And we've tended unfortunately to get maybe a little jaded over time. But I think this particular one, it was slow and it was there. People were standing, they were watching, they were filming and uh, it was ongoing. And I think you felt in yourself, I certainly did, feeling, look, I, you, you, I, you saw someone's life being slowly taken away and you saw somebody taking somebody else's life. Uh, the line I've seen that I think is right, that racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. And I think all of that put together just made it uh, emotive for all of us, uh, unrightly so. Aguil, how did you feel? Well, I, um, I, 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 I was, I don't know if I were to say I, I was unfortunate, but I, I watched the... Uh, a New York Times reconstruction of of the events that led up to it and the 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 actual uh, minutes that um, he had he was restrained and then eventually died and I think that the reconstruction did what those things do it was graphic it brought it home um, and his cries of I can't breathe I can't breathe actually. Uh, haunted me, you know, for a while. And so, yeah, I mean, I must confess that my, my first emotion was one of anger. Um, you know, this angry that this, 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 that this happened. Um, and then, of course, thankfully, that anger gave way to a lot of other uh, things in terms of, so what, what can we do uh, to make sure that these kind of things don't happen? How can we speak into what is happening there? And critically, how can we speak into our own society here? Yeah, so it was it was it, it was actually traumatic. Yeah. yeah. So so you talk about our situation here, and I, I think really want to kind of home in on that. Um, you know, it's quite clear racism is not just an American problem, it's a human problem, it's global, and it is happening right here. Can you just give us a little bit of perspective on that? You know, what do you think is actually going on in the UK? Give us a bit more understanding of, of the situation here. Well, I, um, I think what has happened in America, tragic, traumatic, um, is actually a mirror uh, for us uh, here in the UK. And we must look into that mirror 
and ask ourselves, what do we see? Um, and I think if we're truthful to ourselves, we will see in that mirror that it's a reflection also of, of us here uh, and that we do have uh, very real challenges here. Um, we mustn't shy away from calling it what it is, which is uh, systemic and in, in a lot of institutions, institutional racism. Um, and uh, the only way we're going to start to deal with it is by calling it what it is and by recognizing that if we don't deal with it, um, the, the anger that is, is simmering uh, right now below the surface, especially in a younger generation, is definitely going to spill over. Um, so we have a responsibility um, as lead church leaders, as the church, um, as a nation to deal with it, address it, um, and uh, take some concrete steps towards resolving what we must accept is an issue that exists here. I mean, you know, we've experienced it personally. Um, my, my, my son was pulled up on uh, driving home, uh, driving up to the gate of his house, uh, just about to drive into the estate. It's, a, it's what you would call a very nice area but he was pulled up by some policemen who came out of the car um, and really you know, the way they approached him, like he said, was so unnecessary. And it was like, you know, what are you doing here? And he was like, I'm going home. I live there. And, and you know, you, you, of course, they were embarrassed by it because it was necessary and excessive. Well, he hadn't done anything. Um, he was just driving home. Mm -hmm. but, and that's, that, that, but that's, that's repeated. Uh, on our inner city estates in certain parts of this nation, uh, for, for a black young man, it's going to happen five times a day. It's going to happen more. And it's, it's across uh, society. Um, there's so many examples we could give where, you know, what you're encountering is, is, is just racism. It's simply the color of your skin that is causing uh, the reaction that you're getting. So we just have to accept it and call it what it is and, and, and deal with it. Thankfully, um, there are a lot of people who are right thinking, who are good, uh, who uh, have simply not been able to uh, play their part largely because of knowledge or information and some sort of ignorance. So we, we can do something about it. That's just what I, yeah, mean. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, uh, whereas in America, it tends to be a bit more, it seems more inflamed um, and more overt. Um, and so we run the risk of thinking it doesn't happen here. But actually, it's a covert atmosphere that makes that overt thing normalized, makes it happen. And so it is happening here. I'm grateful that it's not always that gruesome but we do have those moments here also that gruesome and uh, uh and i think for the average person we'll probably describe for them what it looks like in the uk it is this stop and search that uh, pastor Agua was just describing there when it happens once or twice and then three or four or five times when you know that if you're going to certain places you can expect to be stopped when i as a father know i have to say look where you're driving to well when you get stopped you know just just if anything happens, just call me immediately and let me know. I'm just to, you know, you, so they're having to live with that in mind 
uh, as a regular normal part of life. But it goes beyond that. I think it's workplace discrimination. Uh, speaking to somebody in our church just a few days ago uh, has a very uh, good job and so on. But he talks about the steps and things he had to go through uh, just to get to the level where he was. And on one a number of occasions, he is more qualified than the other colleagues more qualified, done all the exams and good, and the figures show it. But uh, when it comes to a promotion for the next row, they, they don't give it to him. They want somebody else. In one particular instance, they wanted somebody else to get it. And the person was not as qualified and, when you, and wasn't as good. Again, the figures show it. When you see, what's the difference here? You, uh, you can, it's only so long you can go as a Christian with your eyes wanting to think it cannot be racism, but eventually it's just there for you to see. Even when the guy didn't want the job, they wanted him to get it. When he didn't want it, they looked for somebody else. Again, the same profile. So it happens there. I think it's unconscious bias. Sometimes things that happen unconsciously uh, where uh, people are treated, where there's just a sense of superiority that some people carry and inferiority that some people feel. And uh, if it's just one or two people feeling it, you might say it's your feelings. But when a whole race of people are feeling, then you've got to say there is something systemic here. I think when it comes to housing, I think when it comes to school exclusions, uh, where uh, black kids are far more likely to be excluded, and uh, to which we might say, well, maybe misbehavior will go that way. Well, if it's that rampant, somebody then we need to say, well, then why is it that rampant amongst them? Because if it was amongst another people group, we'd be saying, let's fix the problem from deeper level and fix it. So it is systemic, which means it's in our system, which means it's hidden in the walls and the corridors. And so you don't see it, you just walk through it. But if you're the victim, then you see it all the time and you are uh, confronted by it. I'm Dave, I was, going, I was yeah. going to give you an example that just uh, tells you. So we put out a statement yesterday, so I've got some responses. So one of our, one of our people, um, one of our ladies who's, who's dynamic, entrepreneurial, and, you know, she's just, she's just, she's just, she's so hardworking and entrepreneurial. So she sent me a message just saying, you know, um, she's particularly pained by this because on two counts, um, her son, um, um, had his jaw smashed in at university, standing, waiting for a bus, not involved in anything. It was a racist attack. He's got 22 clips or whatever it is in his jaw for life as a result of that. But even before that, um, when she was starting out, now she's quite an entrepreneur in the education sector. When she was starting out, she was putting in bids um, for uh, to be able to, to be allowed to run certain um, kinds of schools and she kept losing the bids. And she knew that her and her partner, that their bids were good. She's very bright. So she said she prayed and she thought, you know, she just felt this was what, what God laid on her heart. So for the next bid, they didn't go in as, as two black people who owned the business. They went in with two of their employees as four employees of the business, gave themselves different you know, titles. And they were four employees of the business. So there were two black owners and they had their, these employees and they get there as four employees of the business, two black, two whites. And, you know, they, they, they got, they got what they wanted and got more than what they wanted. And since then 
They have, of course, had they have a track record. The, 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 the people have seen that their work is good, and now that door has opened. But what, what I'm trying to say is that that door wouldn't have opened as long as they were going there as two black owners of the business. That's a day-to-day occurrence. So yeah, it's 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 systemic. We just we just have to accept that, and we've got to deal with it. Well, that really makes me laugh because um, not so much laugh, but I identify with that. There are in the early days and often even till now, there are things that even as a church we might want to need. And I just know that if my colleague who is white goes into that room, this thing will be extradited. Uh, if I go into the room and they don't know me at all, I'm going to have to. It takes a while, almost prove myself before they can say, okay, perhaps we can work with this person. I mean, people will say they have those kinds of stories. And presumably just that sense of, you know, we often use the word, talk about justice and injustice. That must produce incredible sort of pain. And it strikes me both in the US, but also here as well. This situation has just made clear just the depth of pain that that comes from this kind of ongoing incessant injustice i mean how do you kind of handle that when it's happening all the time and it's so systemic well i i think um i think that there are different ways that people handle it i think that for the christian we always go to the bible and i uh, and i have to be clear in my own mind and in my own thinking that I not let my experience completely frame what my response will be, but I let the scriptures frame it and the truth and the gospels. And uh, the God we serve right from the book of Genesis, we see that he loves diversity. And so he made them male and female. And so he made them black and white. And so whether they are uh, black or white or Asian, all the unique facial features of the Oriental. He made all those things. Uh, I love the verse in Malachi 2, verse 10, that says, do we not all have the same Father? Has not the same God created us all? And then, of course, you get to the New Testament, and you see people like Paul saying, you know what, he has created all people to different places and different nations. So God created the ethnics. And so the white color... The, the, the white pigmentation of the Caucasian is not an accident. It's created by God. The black pigmentation of the black man is not an accident. It's created by God. None of this is an aberration. And then, of course, you get to Ephesians where Paul says, one new man. Let's go. In himself, he's built one new man. So, yes, he loves the diversity, but he loves the unity also. And then, of course, Revelation, when we get to heaven, we're going to get there and find around the throne room that people, every language, every tribe, every tongue, we're all there together. And uh, so maybe maybe the summary of that would be when Paul says in Galatians, he says, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, you're all one in Christ. Where in that moment, he is not saying, he is not dismissing the genders or the roles. What he is saying is this, Nobody is of greater or lesser value before God. The white, the black, the brown, all of us are of equal value from the God who made us so because he loves the diversity. Yeah. That's a beautiful summary. Aggie, you want to add anything on that? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about the church. Um, I feel the church is God's instrument 
uh, here on earth to advance his kingdom and to show the love of Christ in a practical way. I, however, must, uh, must accept and admit that the church has failed in times past. Uh, the church failed uh, in the run-up to the Holocaust and during the Holocaust uh, because the church didn't speak out. The silence of the church was deafening. Uh, the church failed in large parts uh, during the, the evil of the apartheid re regime in South Africa. And you can find examples. Uh, the church in large parts failed in America uh, um, before all that happened in the 60s happened. Um, so I think as part of the church, we, we must be saying to ourselves, we mustn't fail this time. Uh, must do what the church is supposed to do. Um, and the church is supposed to stand against injustice, to speak for those who don't have a voice, uh, sometimes at great cost uh, to, to the church, to ourselves for speaking. So I think that's absolutely critical. And the example for us uh, um, ultimately must surely be the one we follow, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And um, is the word that God gives us, as Tope has, has pointed out, so many scriptures uh, pointing to what the church should do against injustice of any kind. Um, and, and racism is, 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 is high up there with the worst of it. Um, and then the, the example of Jesus. And you know, um, Dave, I, I love the story in John, the fourth chapter. I mean, this is... You know, they say actions speak louder than words. And, and, and not words in terms of the word, because this is the word in action. Um, and uh, that Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. Now, in one fell swoop by his actions, he dealt with discrimination against races or racial discrimination. But he also dealt with gender discrimination by his actions. And when you read the account of the disciples when they came back and found they had been talking to this woman and he had literally shattered all this, uh, this, 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 this discrimination that existed in that society, even the disciples were stoned. The Bible says in the 27th chapter, and I just love this, it says at that moment the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. So I think it's a time, this is an opportunity for the church to stun the world, um, to, to cause the world to look at the church because the church is doing what Jesus did um, by our words and our actions, pulling down um, these terrible uh, uh, walls that separate us and dealing decisively with discrimination. So I think it's a great opportunity for us to do that. Totally agree. So could you give us some practice? Go, go ahead, Toby. No, I was just going to say, as you were speaking there, I was just thinking of the well-known verse that we often quote, but right, you know, that um, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and then yeah. to love kindness and to, and to walk humbly with your God. And then doing justice is a critical part of what the gospel is and stands for. And so if the church today makes the mistake of, of the churches in previous eras where we did not speak up, then we have become complicit. 
So we cannot afford to be silent. Not the white pastor, not the black pastor. That everybody has something okay. to say. Yeah. yeah. So practically, maybe Agu, you could give us a few uh, steps. You know, we're we're together speaking about this thing for that very reason. We don't want to be silent. We we're standing together, united. But there are people watching, kind of right across all different stages of their journey on this. Some maybe this is a complete brand new thing. Others maybe have already been passionately engaged in the subject. So could you give us some kind of next steps? Are there any kind of resources maybe, any books you could recommend? Maybe how could we pray? Just help us kind of go out of this, knowing a few things that we can do. Okay, well, I, I, think, the, I think the first thing is we, we must be ready for a conversation. And it's not going to be a, a picnic. It's going to be, it's a conversation about an issue that has affected many lives. Many people are carrying pains and hurts inside them. And, and so we can't go forward without allowing that out, without allowing people to express ourselves in different ways. So there must be many conversations that go on. Um, I think from the conversations will come certain actions that are the necessary next step in terms of um, an acceptance and admitting apologies, whatever flows from that. Um, and the, the, the Archbishop Justin Welby um, has kicked it off I guess, I guess, by, by apologizing for the institutional racism of the Church of England at the, at the General Synod. I think some of those conversations will have to lead to things like that. And then I think critically, uh, uh, I think what needs to happen is information, knowledge, and knowledge need to be need to, we need to get information and knowledge. Yeah. I have a lot of friends like you know Dave. I have a lot of friends who are not black like me. Um, I'm privileged to have a lot of good friends where, who love God, passionate about God. We we're joined in our hearts for revival um, up and down the nation. Um, I must accept that um, some of my friends are good, but don't have knowledge. Um, they, they genuinely don't know, and you, you can't blame them. They genuinely don't know what it, what Tokwe has described. They just have no idea. It's not their world. They have no, no way of knowing. So, um, we have to now work together to say, this is what it is like, uh, walk in the shoes of a, of a young black boy who lives on an inner city estate. All the odds are stacked against him. Um, uh, he's being pulled and drawn to, to a lifestyle that, is, that it cannot do him any good. Um, and he's living under this uh, oppressive climate where he's going to be stopped six or seven times. He's going to walk into Sainsbury's, as happened recently. Um, he's going to pick up something, pay for it, um, and the security guards are going to call the police because they think there are two or three of them and they must be uh, trying to steal. So it's got, that, that's his lifestyle. We've got to get into that to understand that. Um, and I think when good people have knowledge and information, then they can act. Um, they can put their voice to something. They can um, uh, influence things. They can watch out for these examples and call them and name them uh, when they happen. And in terms of information, how do we gather that information? I would say people should you know, maybe start to read a bit. Uh, that would be a good starting point. And I could recommend two or three books that would be 
a good place to start in, in terms of getting information. Um, a book by a book called White Privilege, a very well researched uh, book called White Privilege, Privilege by Kawan Bopa would be a good book. Rennie's book, um, which a lot of the young black people are reading and have read. Um, all, all my children are children. We have three children, um, two of them in their mid 20s. Um, a boy and girl. I mean, they've, they've, they've worked hard, they've done well, you know, but they are, they, they are angry like a lot of their generation is angry. Um, and they, they, they were the ones who, who I saw this book with, uh, Rennie's book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Um, that would be a good one to read. And then Ben Lindsay's book, uh, Dave, you, you spoke about it. Uh, we need to talk about race. Uh, ben Lindsay's book is a good one. Uh, Mr. Christian, um, and so it, it has this Christian perspective in it. And those are books I would recommend. And then I would also say practically, uh, if you can find a black or Asian friend or a, a black or an ethnic minority friend, if you can, because there's just something about uh, the friendship that allows you into that person's world yeah, that, that educates you without you going to any class or reading any books. Um, and I think if you can, if you live in a city, live in a town, are in a church where there are people who are not like you, form a genuine friendship. Like, you know, Dave, what, what shall I, and I have with you and Karen? We, we came up there, we had dinner, we were in your space, we, you know, we, we, we're, watch, we're learning from each other. We might, not say, we, we might not say we are, but we are learning from each other. Um, we're, we're more open and, and to people like us um, because we, are, we have opened ourselves to that relationship. So I would say to people, find a black friend, find an Asian friend and make it a real friendship. Let them come into your space. You go into their space. You would you'd be amazed as to how much you would learn from that experience. That's so good. I, think that's, um, I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's all in there. And particularly the books that he's mentioned, I think are helpful. One written from, I think, a non-Christian perspective and just the person's uh, experience why I'm no longer talking to people about race. But the other one, Ben Lindsay's one, it, then from the church angle. And I think those two, particularly to leaders, because I'm sure that leaders will probably watch these things, those two uh, would help you. I think all I would just add to that is... Um, um, uh, when you're not a when you're not a victim going through something, you tendency is that you're gonna assess situations with facts. But when you're a victim going through it, you're not just looking at facts; your feelings are in it. And I, the reason I'm saying that is because when you when people are going through whatever the, what we're talking about here, racism. Um, we need to make sure that we are empathizing with the feelings first before we get to the facts. If we just bypass that to get to the facts and say, you know what, that happens to five people, it happened to five other people the other day, you know, suck it up. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're missing, we could miss the point. Uh, people get stopped at Sainsbury's for different reasons. But when the reason for which you were stopped <laughs> is the because of the color of your skin, uh, that goes into a different category. So I think I'll just add to everything that has been so excellently articulated there. Um, for the ordinary person who is like, 
I didn't know was this much of an issue. Now I'm realizing what do I need to do? Just be aware of it is the first thing. I think talks like this would help. And just like we said, we are friends and uh, uh, you know, we're good friends. Uh, we, you and I, we talk all the time, Dave. We, uh, and not just do we talk, we just pick up from the last place and we just move on and uh, we're there for each other. What that does is uh, the sense of walking on, like on eggshell, might make a mistake, is all eased right down because we know each other's hearts. And if something goes wrong, I can just say, don't, don't say it like that. Did you mean that? And it's like, no, I didn't mean And we just, and then we move on. And so we enter into each other's space, as was just said. So just be aware. Be, have people that you befriend that come into your own world, just like we just. But I think maybe, maybe even the biggest thing is this. In the end, we all have something to do. Not just a white person, but my black brothers and sisters also. But if we say that we are Christians, then we need to do what, what the one who made George Floyd did when he was in that situation, where he gave up his own life on a cross and didn't say, I cannot breathe, but with his last breath said, Lord, forgive them or they know not what they're doing. Mm. And now it's for us to speak up so that people do know what they're doing. But we need to find in our hearts to forgive. There's an asking of forgiveness and a giving of forgiveness that we all need to enter into. And then we begin to see, I believe, at least the church begins to bring about solutions that the world needs. Wonderful. And I, and I, I think, um, um, I, I, you know, I, I mentioned Sainsbury's. I just needed to say this, that it's not a Sainsbury's thing. It's desperate. You don't want it to seem like you're targeting. Uh, no, thank, you, thank you so much. That was, it's, not it's institutional. It's, yeah. it's, everywhere. it's, yeah. it's everywhere. Everybody's, um, in, in a sense, uh, our institutions are guilty of that. Uh, but I also want to say in terms of, um, I, I, am I hopeful? I am. Why am I hopeful? I'm hopeful because I've come across enough like-minded people, black or white, uh, who genuinely love Christ and who I know, as this issue becomes really topical, uh, are being brought to a place where the collective uh, voice is that something must be done and yeah. something concrete must be done. I think we just need that critical mass uh, that will make that happen. I think it's also very important uh, that the younger generation hears this and believes this because there's a lot of cynicism and a lot of skepticism in that generation because they have had talks before at flashpoints, but haven't seen the results uh, as those flashpoints have eased. Now, we must be saying to them very clearly that this is not like before. Uh, and why do I think it's not like before? You might say I'm biased, uh, but I think it's not like before because of the critical role of the church. I think that if the church plays its part then it will not be like before. We will actually take some concrete steps uh, 
towards beginning to address this issue. And I feel the church is, is, is centrally placed, um, graced by God, to be able to do that and stir society in the right direction. Thank you. Could you pray for us? We'll, we'll agree. Um, just kind of pray for us, pray for uh, the church, pray for the nation. You know, just go for it. We're going to agree with you. Father, we just want to come before you, oh God, and, and first we just want to thank you for your unfailing love. Yes. Jesus, we want to thank you for your example to us uh, that should spur us on as we emulate you to stand against discrimination of any kind, and in this particular instance, racial discrimination. And Lord, we want to thank you because we know that there are enough of your sons and daughters who have a hatred for injustice, black and white, within your body, yeah. can form the groundswell, start this groundswell of this critical mass that is needed, Heavenly Father, to effect change. We're grateful, Lord, for relationships that can allow this, this kind of frank conversation to take place. Uh, we're grateful for Dave and Karen and Kingsgate because they have been the catalyst for this conversation out of their desire to do something about something we all acknowledge should not be happening. Yeah. Lord, we pray for America. We're asking, Lord, that you will raise leaders there, that give them a voice that you will calm by your spirit the troubled waters that exist there that you will give them the wisdom to do something concrete as the nation solves this problem addresses this problem of racism we pray especially for our, our nation here the united kingdom we pray for our political leaders that they will understand the urgency of this situation and will rise to the task, Heavenly Father. We pray, Father, for faith groups, and especially your church, Heavenly Father. Uh, Lord, we know that part of your plan is to use your church to model racial integration, racial unity, and to use your church to bring heal the healing balm of Jesus to a nation that is hurting, and especially to communities within the nation that are hurting. We're asking, Lord, that you will empower your church, give your church the grace, the wisdom, Father. Raise bold leaders that will speak the truth, but speak it in love, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we pray for all those who have suffered real, uh, the real, a real pain, uh, who face this, the, the reality of this evil on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis who have scars and wounds as a result of encounters that, that, that have come their way simply because of the color of their skin. We pray that your Holy Spirit, for only your Holy Spirit can do it, will touch their hearts. Bring them to that place, oh God, where the wounds are healed. Uh, forgiveness comes into their hearts, even as they receive uh, an apology for what was done against them. And even without the apology, Holy Spirit, bring them to a place where you heal the wounds, wounds in their hearts so that they can be a part of the change that we desire. Father, we thank you and we bless you. Pray for my brother, 
my brothers Dave and Tope, uh, and pray that you will empower them in the various constituencies where they serve to speak with a loud voice on this issue, to bring wisdom to bear on this issue. Uh, use them to garner those leaders that, that submit to them or look up to them so that we can all speak with one voice on this issue as the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here in the United Kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank, thank you guys, guys so much. I uh, really, really appreciate you uh, spending time helping us in this way. God bless you both and see you soon. Bless you. Love, love to Karen, love to King's Gate. Yeah. And yeah. love to Kenny, love to Jubilee Church. I love to uh, Shola and love to Karen also. Love to King's Gate. Bye. Bless you.